Good day, everyone. This is Joanne Baudre-Laroc, and uh, Happy New Year. It's uh, 2024, and today is January 15th, 2024. This is my first podcast for the year. I did about 34 for the year of 2023, starting at the end of July. And I I just had a bit of a break uh, over the holidays. It was very hectic and busy, and and I ended up not feeling well for a couple of weeks, where I was just extremely exhausted. And uh, so yesterday I went for some lab work, and hopefully things will be uh, good. Probably just low on iron, uh, as you are aware. I had a a lot of my listeners might be aware I had open heart surgery uh, November uh, 25th, 2022. And so it's just past a year with my uh, new aortic heart valve. It's still working fine, <laughs> which is good. I'm grateful to, for that valve and uh, for the surgeons that perform that surgery on me. So I I have quite a few ideas for this year for uh, my podcast, but today it is Martin Luther King Day, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And every year in the United States, they celebrate uh, Martin Luther King Jr. because he was born January 15th, 1929. And it is a federal holiday in the United States. And it is usually observed uh, on the third uh, Monday of January every year. And uh, weirdly enough, this is uh, what they say is the saddest day of the year uh, in January. So uh, a good suggestion for people that are sad uh, because of the weather or the dreary winter conditions is put on a lot of lights. Buy it a sad light, possibly, and and use that every day. Uh, some person said um, that I I saw somewhere on television or whatever they leave uh, Christmas lights on in the house. Just maybe even those small battery operated uh, little twinkle lights, and just put those on there. You could buy them at the dollar store or Dollar Tree, and. Uh, and just put those on all over, <laughs> and it just and some music and and uh, think happy thoughts, just to kind of get through this day. So, uh, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, being Canadian, a lot of people, uh, some people in the world, don't even realize that we did have slavery in Canada. Uh, it was abolished in August fourth. Uh, 1834, but we did have slavery, even though a lot of uh, the former slaves left the United States and used the Underground Railway, which was a passage uh, with markers using the stars and lanterns on people's homes and uh, secret messages from people that were... uh, risking their lives to help slaves escape uh, being enslaved. So uh, in August 4th, 1834, 
In Canada, it took the passage of the Slavery Abolition Act by the British Parliament to finally pro prohibit the enslavement of African people across most of the, of the empire, empire meaning Canada at the time. So this was the first day of August 1834. And we are honoring Martin Luther King today on January 15th, 2023. So I would like to uh, read one of the stories that I wrote about a former slave uh, whose family used the underground uh, railway system to come to Canada. But before I do that, I would just like to go over some history. I, I mentioned a little bit of history uh, about Canadian history of, as to when slavery was abolished in August 1834. It's still difficult to read about the fact that human beings would use other human beings as slaves. As slaves. But anyway, uh, it's a sad part of our, our history. Uh, and it's been around since before Christ, uh, which dates back as far as 3500 BC, uh, first time slaves were ever used. Uh, so let's go over to uh, American history here. Who freed the slaves? Well, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. This was uh, during the third year of the Civil War between the, the north of the states and the southern states. Uh, but unfortunately, after the war ended, the Civil War ended, Lincoln gave a speech that argued for black men and veterans to have the right to vote. But unfortunately for him, uh, Mr. John Wilkes Booth was in the, off, in the audience and he was so enraged that President Lincoln supported black citizenship that he declared, he vowed that that would be the last speech that this president will ever make and he shot Lincoln three days later. So uh, some people question as to why the American Civil War even started. But uh, the American Civil War uh, began April 12, 1861. It ended four years later, May 26, 1865. And it was a civil war in the United States between the Union, meaning the northern part of the states, and the Confederacy, the South. The central cause of the war, of the American Civil War, was the dispute over whether slavery would be permitted to expand into the Western territories, leading to more slave states, or be prevented from doing so, which many believe would place slavery on a course of ultimate extinction. So we had on the Union side, President Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses E. S. Grant 
on the Confederate side, on the Southern side, was Jefferson Davison, Davis, sorry, Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee. There was a lot of people that passed away on both sides uh, that died. 864,000 people died on the South side, on the Confederacy side. 365,000 died on the North side. Decades of political controversy over slavery were brought to a head by the victory in 1860 by U.S. presidential election of Abraham Lincoln, who opposed slavery's expansion into the Western territories. Canada, we often think in Canada we didn't have slaves, but unfortunately we did. Uh, Canada, we did have slavery, but it was abolished August 1st, 1834. And it would be 35 years later before it was uh, ratified December 6, 1865, which is the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery in the United States. which was a great relief to many uh, slaves, of course. Uh, but some of them weren't told of this until sometimes months, years later, that they were freed people. So when you think about it, from 1619, from the year 1619, when Virginia colonist John Rolfe documented 20-plus or so Africans on board his ship where he brought them to the United States of America, which many believe would be the origins of slavery in America from 1619 to 1865, almost 200 years later would there be finally an end for men and women and children that were enslaved by other people. It really, really makes you think about how cruel some people people are, human beings are. It, it just kind of it, it's heartbreaking to think of that. And yet slavery still goes on in other countries. Um, human trafficking, sexual slavery, uh, just, it still goes on. Yet, today on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, January 15th, 2023. A lot of people don't even really know who Martin Luther King Jr. was. Martin Luther King was an activist. He was a Baptist minister. He played a key role in the American Civil Rights Movement 
from the mid-1950s until his assassination in 1968. He was only 39 years old. He sought equality and human rights for African Americans, the economically disadvantaged and all victims of injustice through peaceful protests. He was also a political philosopher and who was one of the most prominent leaders in the civil rights movement. He was assassinated April 4, 1968 at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. His most, it's, it's still hard to, as a Canadian, I, I can't get over how difficult it is to, to read that, this history that a person was killed just because he wanted to promote equality amongst men. But to continue, he is known for his contributions to American civil rights in the 1960s. His most famous work is his I Have a Dream speech, which he delivered in 1963, in which he spoke of his dream of a United States of America that is void of segregation and racism. There was a march that he attended in Washington, August 28, 1963, and it was a peaceful march, which was a call for equality and freedom. It became one of the most defining moments of the civil rights movement and one of the most iconic speeches in American history. Part of the, the, the words to, his, to Martin Luther King's uh, speech, it was three, three pages long, uh, but here's a few words from his speech where he proclaimed to the 200,000-plus people in attendance during that march in, on Washington, where he says, I said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be engulfed, every hill shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plains, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. He, in his I Have a Dream speech, the Baptist minister and civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. outlined the long history of racial injustice in America, and he encouraged his audience to hold their country accountable to its own founding promises of freedom, justice, and equality. The March on Washington was a massive protest march that occurred in August 1963 when some 250,000 people gathered in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. He met President Kennedy. He, he met President Kennedy before the march, and he reluctantly endorsed the march on Washington, but tasked his brother and Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy 
to coordinate with the organizers to ensure all security precautions were taken. So this was done with the president's approval. Unfortunately, though, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And to remember this Baptist minister, this political activist who promoted peace, this philosopher, just to have a society where there would be no more racism, no more segregation, where if you were black, you had to drink from a different water fountain than if you were a white person. Or if you were black, you had to sit at the back of the school bus or bus than a white person. Just because of the color of your skin designated back not too long ago in the 1960s and further back, obviously, where you could eat or drink or go to the washroom. Basic human rights. Just because of the pigmentation of your skin, other people felt that they were superior to you. And as a white person with a French background from my ancestors, uh, it just floors me to think that this existed and still does. So when we lived in Barrie, Ontario, north of Toronto, it's about an hour north of Toronto, we resided in Barrie until we moved back to northern Ontario in the Sudbury area. Uh, we moved back in at the end of 2013 while we were living in Barrie, Ontario, I discovered, because my husband and I would love to go on, on just day trips here and there just to explore and learn about the area, I discovered a small church in a little area north of Barrie near Aurelia, Ontario called Oro Medante. And in Oro Medante, there stands to this day in 2023, a small little wooden building, which was the original African Methodist Episcopal Church. And during the summer, you can actually enter this church and view pictures, talk to the, the museum curate, curators that might be there on that day, and learn the history of where former black slaves took the underground, the very dangerous underground railway, railroad to come to Canada for sleep, uh, for freedom. So obviously this was after 1834 when slavery was abolished in Canada, but there were still 35 years of still slavery in the United States. And a lot of these former slaves would, would come to Canada for freedom. And many of them settled in this small little black settlement at Oro, which is also called, like I said earlier, Oro Medante. My husband and I visited this little church and, and we met with 
it was oddly enough, the last name was Booth. I, I'm not sure of his first name, but it, it kind of was eerie because then I thought of the Mr. Booth who assassinated Abraham Lincoln. And here we are at this little wooden building in Oro Medante, and there happened to be another Mr. Booth who was the curator on the day that we were there. They are all volunteers, and he was a white person, and yet he was so kind and showed us pictures of, of the former slaves who immigrated to Ormidante who were given land by the Canadian government at the time to farm. And they had this little black, this, this church where the black settlers would attend for their Sunday church services. And I took a pile of pictures because besides being a writer, I'm also a published photographer. And I took pictures outside, inside the church, of the pews, of the stand. And I sat in, in the pews just feeling what it would be like to come to this country in Canada, knowing that I was finally free. I, I just felt, what would it feel like if I was a, a black? person who was a former slave and now I'm living in this country, Upper Canada, and trying to work the land, let's say, as a as a farmer and just and being able to come to this church knowing that I won't be killed because of the color of my skin. Again a little bit of history for you. During the War of 1812, which for history buffs, this was a war which started June 18, 1812, and it ended on February 17, 1815, three years later. It was fought by the United States against Canada, but back then it was called British North America or Upper Canada. And this war was fought by the Americans, United States and their indigenous allies against the United Kingdom and its own indigenous allies in British North America. It began when the United States declared war on June 18, 1812 and did not end until February 17, 1815, as I had just mentioned. Tensions uh, were from the differences over territorial expansion in North America and the British support for Tecumseh's Confederacy, who opposed United States colonial settlement in the old Northwest. So it was a, a brutal war where uh, United States lost... 15,000 deaths from all causes. 1,400 merchant ships were captured. 4,000 slaves escaped or were freed, which was good. In the United Kingdom, meaning Upper Canada, meaning Canada as we know it today, we had 15,500 were captured. 10,000 died from all causes. 1,344 merchant ships were captured. 
with our indigenous allies, uh, indigenous peoples that fought for, for Canada during this war of 1812, we lost 10,000 dead from all causes, warriors and civilians. So after the Civil War, or the War of 1812, there started to be some early settlement in Canada by former slaves. And uh, I'm going to mention Simcoe County, which is part of Barrie, uh, Penetanguishene, Midland area, and Orbandante, where that church is that my husband and I went to visit for my research on a story that I wrote. So in 1819, there was the first settlement of former slaves where land was given to them uh, by the Oro Township for these early settlers to work the land. In 1838, Reverend Airy Raymond, a white man from Boston, was sent to minister to the black population of Oro Township. In 1849, he helped the community to build the African Methodist Episcopal Church near Edgar. That church is still standing to this day. This was formally organized in 1816 after a group of black Methodists withdrew from St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia in 1787 due to discrimination. The Oral African Methodist Episcopal Church was restored in 1949 on the 100th anniversary of its construction. So 100 years later, they restored that church. The church, which still stands to this day, and I encourage you to visit it if you're ever in the Simcoe County area, in uh, between Aurelia and North of Barrie, uh, especially during the summer, I think it's closed during the winter, that church was designated a National Historic Site of Canada in the year 2000. And there was a plaque there recognizing this distinction, was in, which was unveiled in 2003. The decline of the settlement. Many of the black settlers did not stay long in Oro. The land was frequently of poor quality than the lots ad adjacent to the Penetanguishene Road. As members of the second wave were located in the early 1800s, earlier settlers were selling their grants and moving to urban areas such as Collingwood, Barrie, and Toronto, or hiring themselves out as laborers on nearby farms. In June of 1831, Oro Township was open to white settlement and black settlers were no longer settled specifically along Wilberforce Street. That's a very important street in that area. During that time, 100 white families settled in the township. The, this influx of settlers drove the value of the land up and many black families sold their properties and moved to other locations. Also in 1831, Samuel Richardson was set, 
sent to assess the state of improvements to Oro Township properties. He found that 19 lots had either been abandoned or were never occupied, and that of the 5,800 acres, only 144 had been cleared. By 1900, the Wilberforce Street Black Settlement had virtually disappeared. The last descendant of the original black settlers, James Thompson, left Oro Township in 1949. Intrigued by this history in a little township north of Barrie, I, I wanted to research as much, as much as possible the history of black settlers that were sold land for a shilling, uh, well, some was, was given to them for free or for a shilling as long as they could work the land. But of course, it was a poor quality that they soon discovered and it was difficult to, to farm. But I was intrigued by the history. And I, at the time, belonged to uh, the Barry Writers uh, Club. And I was writing also for a magazine called High Grader Magazine, which is uh, was located out of Timmins, Ontario, Northern Ontario. And the magazine is still out there on the internet. Um, and I wrote oftentimes many short stories about Northern Ontario, my memories of, of living in Northern Ontario and some historical stories and so on. So this time I asked the publisher if I could submit this story to him. And I entitled it Anaya. And it it was also, it was published in the High Grader magazine over two uh, magazine, magazines. Um, but it was also published, and you can find that online, in the Barry Writers Club Anthology. Uh, the name of the anthology is called Unleashed Inc. Unleashed, U-N-L-E-A-S-H-E-D, Inc., I-N-K, from the Barry Writers Club. And it's an anthology which means a collection of stories and poems and such. So I wrote this uh, story. Initially, they they... I just wrote, and as I was writing, I felt I just couldn't start stop typing, and I ended up with three thousand words to my story, and I remember that I was just typing away, and I I almost felt like I was the the young girl in my story. It was just such a weird, bizarre feeling, and. Then I was told, no, we could only have 1,500 words. So then I, it was difficult to edit out uh, a great deal of my story, over half of it. But I, I did. I managed to bring it down, edit it down to 1,500. And the final edited version of my story was completed October 26, 2011. And then it was published in the Unleashed Inc. anthology book, and it was published in High Grader magazine uh, shortly after that. So bear with me as I read this to you. Uh, I apologize in advance for some of the wording because uh, I am going to voice the 
the the words said by different peoples in my story, uh, including slave owners and such, and then of course the 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 black family that I'm talking about and the young girl Anaya. So here goes. Anaya, this is so fascinating to actually take pictures of history in our own neighborhood, said Anne to her husband, taking a shot with her new camera of the deserted oral African church near Barrie. It was 1930, and they were new to the area. See, I told you we'd find this old church, Michel muttered as he stumbled over a tombstone. He read the faded inscription, Anaya, A-N-A-I-A-H. Such a beautiful name. I wonder how the poor soul died, Anne inquired. Samuel, the LaFontaine's four-year-old son, peered through a dusty window of the small wooden church, only to jump back in surprise as dark, aged eyes stared back at him. Oh, there's someone in there. The door creaked open. A feeble old man stepped outside. Can I help you folks? Uh, We're just looking around. Sorry if we bothered you, Michelle replied. No, you're no bother, the man said. We were wondering who Anaya was, Anne asked. Sitting on a wooden bench beside the church, the old man gazed at them sadly. Well, if you have time, I'll tell you the story. The LaFontaine family settled themselves on nearby rocks to listen to the old man's story. It was 1831 on a large tobacco plantation near Richmond, Virginia. Get to work, you lazy buggers, yelled slave owner Mr. Tandem. The back-breaking work of picking tobacco was almost done. Afraid of being whipped, Esther, her husband Henry, and their young children, eight-year-old Anaya and four-year-old Will, continued working in the hot sun. At dusk, they carried sacks of tobacco leaves into the barn. They joined others in the slave quarters to eat a few meager grits and bread. They ate in silence. The exhausting toil of their existence lay heavy upon them, body and soul. Night fell, candles were snuffed, and weary slaves lay on a hay-strewn strewn wooden floor with tattered blankets to keep them warm, while rats nibbling upon fallen breadcrumbs scurried across floor and sleeping bodies. Esther lay beside her husband in the darkness. We've got to leave. We has to get right soon, Henry. I know the master is fixing to get at Anaya. He's got that lust in his eyes, and she's just a young child. Henry looked sadly at his young wife. I sure know, but I'm scared to death. We has to run tonight. We has to get our youngins their freedom. Esther pulled Anaya closely, closer, enfolding her in the blanket. Henry knew his young daughter was in danger of being raped by the master. 
Esther had already endured pain and degradation at his hands, and Henry, too, had felt the whip many times upon his back. He wished he were a braver man. Esther had all the strength, and he was ashamed of his cowardice. He shivered, not from the cold, but from knowing what he had to do to protect his family. He heard tell that up in Canada, the government was giving free land grants to blacks. Pegleg Joe, who'd worked briefly on the plantation, had told Henry about an underground railroad that took runaway slaves to freedom in Canada. The railroad comprised of a series of stations, safe places to hide like a church, a barn, or a black man's lodging. Pegleg Joe told him to look for mud images of a peg leg on trees that would keep him on the right trail. Henry was taught a song called Follow the Drinking Gourd. Its message was to follow the Big Dipper and the North Star. Will moaned in his sleep, his back still tender from being beaten by the master's wife. She caught him in the kitchen helping himself to an apple. He'd been so hungry. Esther rolled her young son towards her, hugging him tenderly. Henry, please, I so scared for you and for our young'uns. Henry trembled with fear. I know, but we've got to escape now. Esther then clutched a burlap sack filled with some cornbread she'd been saving. We better get going. Lord, help us, Henry uttered in fearful resignation. Cradling the children in their arms, they crept towards the barn door. The floor creaked. They froze. A few steps more, and they reached the door beyond which lay freedom. Henry furtively lifted the heavy iron latch. They both knew they could be discovered by the watchman, Mr. Steller, who was out by the horse barn watching for any runaways. They knew he wouldn't hesitate to shoot at anyone who dared to escape. They hoped and prayed that tonight the bottle of whiskey he indulged had carried him into deep slumber. The barn door swung open. They glanced back at their sleeping friends. It was difficult to leave them, but they had to press on. Will moaned out in pain from the raw wounds on his back. Esther quickly covered his mouth. As Anaya stirred, both children were awake now, so Henry and Esther quickened their steps. This way, Henry whispered as they hugged their children closer and crept towards the dirt road. A night owl hooted. They hesitated, but continued on the gravel road that led to the woods. Henry cast a nervous eye toward the swaying noose that hung ominously from the farmyard oak tree and reflected sadly on the loss of his older brother, Joseph. They reached the outside fence and another locked gate. They dug at the earth with their hands. We best crawl beneath the lowest pole, whispered Esther. Ye and the children first, Will's a-hurtin', urged Henry. You get long after me, Esther said, pushing the children in front of her under the fence. Yes, I get to, Henry reassured her.
At that moment, vicious hounds bellowed, gunshots rang out, an oil lamp flickered on in the farmhouse. They ran for their lives. Not that way. We best run to Solomon Creek. Them dare dogs won't smell us out our trail in the water, Henry whispered as his courage rose. He could taste freedom. Over the next few days, they made their way through dense forests, fields, and swamps in all kinds of weather, navigating by the stars at night and hiding in caves and ditches during the day. What little bit of food Esther had brought was now gone. They were tired, hungry, and thirsty, and painfully aware that the path to freedom was long, hard, and frightening. The angry slave owner and his gun-toting men chased them on horseback, with the hounds sniffing for their scent. The young family were beginning to fear they would never reach freedom, but they managed to find conductors of the Underground Railroad, compassionate black and white folk, who gave them shelter in cellars and tunnels. Kindly folk, Kindly people left oil lamps burning in their windows at night to signal a safe hiding place. They provided the fugitives with food and water and forged freedom papers. The conductors secretly transported the runaways farther north in hay wagons, stagecoaches, and rafts. They helped them stow away in oak barrels, boxes, and even pine coffins. Eventually, Henry's family made it safely to Sandusky, Ohio, on the shores of Lake Erie, and Naya and Will were exhausted from the long trek, their little bodies sore and weak from malnourishment and fatigue. Mama, I want to stay here in this town. I see other children like me. I want to play with them, and Naya pleaded while tugging on her mother's tattered dress. Me too, said little Will, his eyes pleading. Esther, though, was not content to stay in Ohio, as oppression of blacks still reigned. Remember what, remembering what her friend Mabel had told her about a shanty town in Oro Township, north of a lake called Lake Simcoe, she convinced Henry that true freedom can only be found in Canada. They journeyed on and during the next night reached the last conductor of the Underground Railroad. They were instructed to board a boat carrying goods across Lake Erie to the small village of Leamington in Canada, in Ontario. From there, they would be transported by horse-drawn carriage to Oro to apply for free land grants. With a final look back at the country of their birth, Henry and Esther boarded the rickety lumber boat, Holding their small children, they didn't realize bounty hunters in the area were also on the lookout for runaway slaves. There was a sudden gunshot. Get down, yelled the boat captain. A child's scream penetrated the darkness. It was Anaya. Mama, my leg. Blood oozed from a wound in her leg. Esther quickly grabbed a rag from the floor of the boat and pressed the dirt-encrusted oily rag onto Anaya's leg to stop the bleeding. Will began to cry. Henry scooped his son into his arms, and and both parents with their children flattened themselves under a canvas covering in the boat as it glided through dark waters. 
"'Tis only a small wound on her skin,' said Henry with a worried but reassuring look towards his wife. "'Methink I can get the bleeding ended,' said Esther. Anaya continued to sob quietly as the long night continued. By the end of the next day, they reached a small village where they were met by a smiling black man in a one-horse-drawn wagon. Welcome to Canada. My name is Woodford Jones, he said, handing Henry some crusty bread and tepid water in a beaten-up metal canteen. I'm going to take ye's to Earl. Dem white folks won't harm you here. We sure want to thank ye, said Henry. Esther nodded her head and smiled wearily at the young man. Ah, I's just doing the Lord's work, Mr. Jones said tipping his wide-brimmed hat. But for me, I'd sure enjoy some good vittles once you get set up. Anaya and Will were sound asleep when their parents placed them on the wagon, covering them with hay and potato sacks. The journey continued north, passing the British Army in Fort York. Esther comforted Anaya as she tried to rub away the pain in her daughter's leg. The bleeding had stopped, but infection had set in, leaving a festering wound. As the long days passed, Anaya's condition worsened. Gangrene spread throughout her leg. High fever set in, and she became delirious. My leg hurtin' right smartly. I wish the pain would get up and go away. I want a fate gain. So Isaac hain't feel it no more. Anaya sobbed and shivered uncontrollably. She began to mumble nonsense. I wish my mommy is here. She'd have found me laying right here. I want me daddy, too. The ground is so cold. Eyes is so cold. Anaya continued sobbing until she fell into a deep, worn-out sleep. She's resting, Hester said. At last the weary... Travelers reached their destination in Oro Township, where the kind folk helped them unload their meager belongings. Henry, leaning over it, whispered, Anaya, we's here. Suddenly he drew back in horror at the sight of the cold, lifeless body of his young daughter. Esther clutched Anaya into her arms, rocking and sobbing uncontrollably. Henry, his Hands to his head fell to the ground, weeping in bitter despair, while young Will stood dazed and crying. They buried their daughter in the churchyard, and as they sang a hymn to God, a spotted yellow maple leaf slowly floated onto her grave. Anaya was free at last. Oh my goodness, what a sad story, said Anne standing to stretch her stiff back. I'm sorry if I shook you up some, said the old man. Well, got to go now. Mister, what's your name? Samuel tugged at the old man's overalls. I'm a free man, he said proudly, looking at them with tired eyes. No, mister, I mean, what's your first name? The old man turned, looked at him, and said, Will. Will.